0: (laughs) hi charlie how are you hello
1: very very well thank you how are you
0: i'm really good thanks um i think we're on episode is this the 10th episode is this the big 10
1: i think it is the big one oh hang on let me
0: well happy 10th episode birthday to us
1: it's happy 10th episode birthday to us well done
0: yeah um who who are we chatting to this week
1: so this week we are talking to my friend alicia who i met in calais when i was volunteering um, but she was there for a lot longer than me and has done some really interesting things and is doing some more really interesting things so hopefully top podcast content yeah and a great
0: girl really interesting journey of how she kind of got into doing what she's currently doing mm-hmm. with refugees, isn't it? Um mm-hmm. so yeah, I think it is top podcast content as always.
1: And important to talk about this week as yeah, well. Definitely. It's been in the news a lot, so perfect perfect timing.
0: Yeah, brilliant. Um so let's so get
1: let's go. Let's
0: without get in further there. ado, let's just hit it. in So um, this
1: is
2: Olivia who
1: is my um, friend that I met when I was in Calais volunteering with Care for Calais but you were there for a lot longer than me weren't you this year
2: and are going on to do yeah so I was there um three months I was over there um in Calais yeah and then you came back for what feels like a minute and then now you're going back over Yes, yeah, so I got back got back about a month ago so I've had um the last month back in London um, But yeah I was over in Calais for three months so from the start of lockdown um yeah and it was amazing to meet you over there as well Charlie um yeah it was an incredible experience and definitely I've learned a lot from my time with Care of Calais as well.
1: It was turf I think because when did you get did you get there about a month before I went out because I think yeah. you got there as lockdown had happened didn't you?
2: Yeah so I was there um it was the end of April that I arrived, so it was as lockdown was in place. Um it was everything sort of pp we were wearing, everything was pretty much shut down, like shops and restaurants, everything like that. So it was quite um crucial time I guess to be there. Um, not a lot of volunteers on the ground at the time. And um, I think we had a team of about eight or nine. and um, mm. Usually they have about 30 volunteers. Um, so yeah it was quite difficult. Um, logistically to get volunteers over there it was quite difficult as well. Um, Yes, but as I know. <laughs> as yeah, I'm, yeah, you're painfully aware.
0: <laughs> oh, is this your your um, ferry trip that wasn't Charlie?
1: <laughs> My small cruise to <laughs> Um For the, I don't think I like don't like to assume that everyone's listened to every single podcast. Although I hope they have. So for the work that you have been doing and are getting back to doing is working with refugees and asylum seekers mm-hmm. there, Alicia, in Calais and Dunkirk and Northern France
2: hmm Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So yeah, Care for Calais, they work, um, they've been established about five years, I think they set up in 2015, and um, when there was the the jungle um closing down in Calais at the time. Um yeah, they've been doing amazing work over there working with um refugees and displaced people in Dunkirk, like you said, in Calais. Um so yeah, I was um I went over there, a friend of a friend sort of let me know um, about the organisation and it seemed perfect thing for me to do I was furloughed um from my job in London um so I had the opportunity and the time and sort of the financial support to be able to do something like that and I um I spent a month in the UK Um, I moved back sort of with my parents and it it was nice for a month but um yeah it was it was I'm used to being so like super busy and um working with different people in different communities so I was ready to start something new and to give back in any way that I could. yeah i went um over the end of april um and yeah had the opportunity to stay there for a couple of months which is yeah a great experience
1: but tough i think I, we try yeah. and be like um kind to ourselves don't we on this podcast yeah. sam and like you're allowed to say that it's really hard and i know when we so mm. you were there since april i think we went this last week of may yeah. and you'd only just stopped doing like crisis distributions mm-hmm. and you don't just started doing like the kind of more well-being stuff again yeah yeah
2: yeah that's the right. French
1: government stopped doing food didn't they for a bit yeah. as well so you yeah, guys
2: were so, um there was a lot of evictions evictions sort of take place every couple of days um but there was quite a few big ones when we were over there in, mm-hmm. in the last couple of months as well um so it is a difficult situation to see anyway but with the evictions and with the sort of the priest um, brutality that you see over there and you hear um it is definitely it affects you in different ways and at different times and I think when I was over there I didn't really have the time or the space to reflect on that in a way I think when you're there it's really intense you're doing a lot of work there um but then I had that time when I got back to sort of step back and I think yeah sort of reflecting back on it now it is it is a really really challenging role and i think hats off to everybody that's sort of over there and still working on the ground Mm. loads of different organizations that are doing incredible stuff um yeah it is very demanding and i think once you're there it's you want to give everything um as you mentioned about like the food distributions um we had um we were doing sort of food and clothing distributions at the start um and then we opened up the services so we had uh, well-being services we had things like um kids activities which is something that i um really enjoyed and took a big sort of role in over there and um, we had uh hairdressing we had bike services and that was really nice to sort of open up those services as well um because it gave you the opportunity to um sort of work with the refugees and the families in a different way and have that communication with them which mm-hmm. I don't think you always get when you're sort of just there for the distribution um especially because it's so
1: regimented isn't it it's like everyone yeah. <laughs> being mm-hmm. aligned Right, you now yeah. move on. It's not necessarily yeah. like relationship building, is it? Again, it's, it's like cry. It's a crisis distribution. It's like giving out goods. It's not kind of building relationships or improving well being, is it?
2: Yeah, definitely. I think with having sort of this situation of the lockdown as well, having the PPE, we had to wear sort of the masks. Mm. So when you've got those um sort of communication barriers anyway, the language barriers and things like that, it's, you do rely a lot on sort of facial expression usually. But if you've got the mask, then it builds that additional barrier there as well. So really thinking in creative and um, inventive ways and in how we can communicate and how we can still have um, that relationship and that communication with the refugees at the time because I think it's really important to to make everybody feel um, equally valued, even though we have this additional barrier there as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was I definitely you're really
1: amazing. good at smiling with your eyes.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. yeah. <laughs> eyebrows definitely Yeah. Um, <laughs>
0: <laughs> so you you mentioned that you're going back um sooner this is that's that's of a different organization though isn't it
2: yeah so that's um an organization called project play um so that's a small charity i'm um, working with displaced children and um, predominantly so they're doing work i um, sort of creating a safe space um for children to learn to um play and to sort of have space to imagine and to have yeah, just really facilitating activities so they have that space, um, which they should have if they were back at home, if they were in school, if mm-hmm. they were with their friends, which is often something that's taken away from them. Um, so, yeah, it's an incredible, incredible charity. I'm really excited to go back there. Um, it'll be a different um, challenge to Care for Calais, I think. And um, I did a little bit of work, as I just mentioned, with sort of the kids' activities when we were doing and um, the work with Care for Calais. Um, but going back with Project Play is um, predominantly going to be working with the children and sometimes the families as well. But mainly with children so I think that definitely brings um other challenges as well and uh, that my role is going to be safeguarding and child protection coordinators so I'll be um overseeing sort of the volunteers and supporting the volunteers and running the activities with the kids but then also um taking a lead in safeguarding training for uh, different organizations and things like that yeah. wow interesting role yeah that and suits you it. so
1: perfectly I just remember me and Alicia went on a distribution Alicia literally put two sticks in like a pile of gravel and then somehow in the warehouse like just found loads of really beautiful bits of like string and ribbon and then just made this like really lovely weaving activity with the well, well with it was like with adults and kids that were that yeah. so, like, you've got a real knack for like just Rustling <laughs> together like something that's a little bit like beautiful in the middle of it was. Um, but I, I'm really excited that you have it because I think you'll be brilliant at it. And then yeah. you were going to be, what else? Though? You were you on cbb's in the end because you're going to be on. Do you remember that?
2: Oh, uh, we did.
0: <laughs> 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 <laughs>
2: I think we were saying oh, it was news round. I think it was. We were doing, How was some, it. <laughs> I'm talking about sort of the narrative of child refugee, and um, we did a lot of work with families to try and get that on sort of in a context where it would be relatable to other children as well i'm not sure what happened with that. actually i don't know if that went out ever but i think their idea was they were going to make um sort of a cartoon of this little child and then have like speak bubbles and things like that and yeah um i don't think it was cbb's maybe maybe it was i, I can't remember like, i feel <laughs> like it was but i'm happy
1: it might have been news round news round's <laughs> <laughs> so bit more yeah, right. yeah no it's more highbrow <laughs> yeah <CBS>. yeah definitely. <laughs> yeah. No. I'm trying 100%. to suggest that <laughs> um but I think that um the thing that people forget as well is that there are cho- you don't imagine there being children in Calais you imagine there being children in like Greece don't you or you imagine mm. there being children in like the Middle East in refugee camps there but there are yeah. children there are families that arrive all the time aren't there
2: yeah um, definitely.
1: in Calais and they're just on your well it's less than 100 miles from London I found out the other day so there's yeah, literally okay. children living not even in tents less yeah. than 100 miles away sort of amused Sam it's probably like I don't know nothing it's so so close yeah. isn't it and we just forget we don't know or we forget that it's there
2: yeah definitely and I think I was quite I knew about the situation um but I think it's easy to sort of distance yourself from the situation because you can often feel quite hopeless because it's such a, it's so much bigger than anybody. Like you can definitely help to promote that change. But I think it's something that I, before I went to care for Calais, I didn't know a lot um, about sort of individual stories and the journeys of refugees and a lot about sort of the context and where people lived and things like that. So I think it really opened my eyes to that when I was over there. Um, but yeah, like you said, Charlie, I think really seeing children there is some, is very yeah, it really I think that's when we went over to Dunkirk for the first time and that's where a lot of the families tended to be at the time mm-hmm. that I was there and so sort of children that are two, three years old. And we've worked with a lot of women who were pregnant, um a woman who had a baby um in Greece um as she was making a journey over to the UK. Um and I think it's things like that that you it really makes it I I find that quite personal with sort of I've got a lot of younger family members and I've always worked with children. So I think it's something that really like impacted me at the time and I think most of my experience is working mainly in sort of mental health and um, with children in different capacities and um, so I think sort of seeing the the opportunities that children get that they should have in the UK in um, I've worked in uh, Australia for a little bit over there as well and I think having that um, context to sort of see it against was really difficult um, mm-hmm. so I think that's really one thing that I really I'm quite passionate about and I want to go to sort of working with Project Play and to sort of to see what we can do and help um even if it is a couple of hours running activities giving them that space to to be kids and to like do Mm -hmm. we're doing at that age as
1: well yeah just have a bit of joy
2: yeah definitely definitely yeah
1: um
0: it it sounds like it might be a good time to um talk about your first choice then and maybe we can go with your book book choice
2: yeah, so my book um, is a book I read quite recently, actually. It's um, called The Lightless Sky by Gulwali Pasali. So this is a memoir of a 12-year-old Afghan boy who um, left Afghanistan um, with his brother. Um, and it's a memoir of his journey across to get to the UK. Um, so he was 12 and his brother was 13. Um, so his um, father and grandfather, I think it was his grandfather as well, were accused of um, working with the Taliban and they were um, killed in their own house by the US troops and um, so this situation occurred and then the mum wanted to make sure that the children were safe so she um, paid a smuggler to get the two boys over to Italy as far as Italy um, and they set off on this journey together um, and the story is about his own journey of the um, going across um the countries and going to he's across in sort of turkey greece um iran um he he sort of tells his story but within i think it's within sort of a couple of days he loses his brother so his journey started off with him and his brother but then they go on two separate paths so it's all about his own personal journey at 12 years old this kid's like going across europe by himself like it's you can't even i can't even relate to it so so yeah she was so wrong on so many different levels, um, but basically it's all about his his experience, who he met on the journey, um, and trying to get back to his brother as well. Um, so it's all about his journey back to the UK, trying to find his brother. Um, so he made it back to Italy, um, and he found a safe place at the end of his journey where he was happy to sort of stay in Italy. Um, but then he found out that his brother had made it over to the UK, so he went um, and he got over to the UK. He meets his brother in the end, um, but what I found really interesting about the story is he got to the UK he met his brother he was um that's where he wanted to go that's where his family wanted him to go and they've gone on this big journey they saw sort of the UK as this big sort of amazing end goal that they all wanted to to get to for safety for support and for a better life and and I think when he got there um he really struggled to sort of adapt um and this isn't in the book, but I've sort of I've read a little bit into his own sort of story at the end as well. But he um, ends up when he gets to the UK, he um, takes an overdose of paracetamol. Um, the second day he was in the UK, because of all of the processing of the trauma that he's gone through, and um, he was okay. But it's yeah. So this horrific story of this this kid who's twelve years old, and I think it was for me that was the time where I actually heard a personal account of the refugee situation and how it really before I saw it as um, sort of a bigger crisis, but seeing that sort of individual account, I think really made me want to help and really want to, I, you could relate to it a different way because it, you sort of see that from um, an individual's account. And mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a really, really um, well-written book, but yeah, it's, it, it's very sad, some it, but it also has incredible stories of how the people he met and the um, sort of the sense of unity from being around people that are from different cultures, different communities, but they share this sense of hope um, and they're together on this journey and they're all sort of reaching out to the same and uh, trying to get to the same places. So they really support each other. And I think it's really nice to see that. Um, Yeah. And I think it really, is really inspiring. And I think it's, yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: I think as well, I don't know if you found this Alicia, I find it interesting to see like the whole of the journey because normally mm. I either see the UK end bit or like, um, yeah, or, like, the Calais bit, or, like, my mum and sister have done, and um, some friends have done some work in Greece, but you kind mm-hmm. of get, like, the little snapshot, don't you, of, like, where mm-hmm. the person is and you're just trying to make that yeah. little bit where you've got them as nice as possible, but you mm-hmm. kind of don't hear that thread to you or you don't see your yeah. get to see your context in that story. Mm-hmm. So I think yeah. I would really like to read that. I think it would be interesting to kind of
2: yeah.
1: understand yeah. better, like, the whole where everyone's been rather than just kind of that little bit where we see them
2: yeah I think it's really important um and I think when I read this book I was actually I was working in um Bali at the start of this year um and due to you drop
1: stuff so calmly (laughs) like oh I didn't I (laughs) didn't smoke in Australia when I was was in Bali at the beginning I I was so calm about
2: it (laughs) I I rolled I worked in well previously worked and I've just been made redundant um, but we were furloughed. Um, but it's based a company based in the UK. Um, we're called SLV Global, and we do a lot of work with um, it's global mental health, promoting sort of positive mental health within different communities. Um, so I've worked with them for quite a while now. I was back in Bali, um, sort of managing the placement over there, um, and that's when sort of lockdown came into place. Coronavirus was all over the world, and this whole weird bubble. Within a couple of days, everything changed. The SEO advice changed. Um, so I read this book the previous week um so then suddenly I was back home I was able to look into opportunities working with refugees um so that's sort of how that led me into going to care for Calais I think as well um so this book was really um yeah it was really important for me I think in that decision and um thinking about what I wanted to do next um in my career I guess um,
1: mm-hmm. yeah it's had a really big impact hasn't it I didn't realize that yeah. was kind of worried. it's amazing yeah because it might be interesting to kind of chat because we talk about mental health quite a lot, don't we, on this podcast. I think people have kind of, I mean, everyone has their own, but people have had their own or people, um, quite a lot of people we've spoken to have either kind of worked indirectly or directly um, in kind of like advocacy or like awareness raising or so direct work. So your background, Alicia, is in um, like child and adolescent mental health, isn't it?
2: Yeah, that's right. So I did um, my undergraduate degree in psychology um, in Manchester Um, and then I was working in a psychiatric inpatient hospital um, in North Manchester as a support worker. So I was doing that work for two years. I was there straight after my undergrad. Um, So that was working on a female adolescent ward. So working with kids that were aged 11 to 18, um, quite a big age gap. So definitely Mm -hmm. how the development stages at that time as well and putting these kids in an environment where they're living going to school in the wards it was quite an intense environment but I loved my role there I think it was an incredible role to have the opportunity to work with the kids and to support them and to help them sort of achieve their goals within this context and yeah I really um, really enjoyed my role there it was definitely very challenging um, in different ways but I think um, yeah I really enjoyed my, my work there and what we did um, a lot of what I tried to do working in the hospital was um, focusing on how we can make the ward um, a nicer place for them to be. Um, obviously it's not a place where any of those kids wanted to be. They need to be at home. They want to be with their families. Um, but I think it's really important that we, while they're there, while they're getting their support in the ward, that we can make that space as relevant to them um, as it's their space there as well. So what I wanted to do, um, I wanted to, Make um, we had a couple of rooms uh, like a quiet room and things like that. Um, and what I did, I worked with the kids to design some pictures that we drew onto the wall. And so I sort of did the stencils on. We used some of the space inside, and we also um, did some of the um, walls outside as well. So we had a lot of um, sitting down with the um, with the service users on the ward and like making sure it was their ideas, so it wasn't mm-hmm. sort of me going in drawing pictures on the wall and for them to sort of pull her in. Um, it was really working with them, thinking about what they wanted. If this was their space, what would they um, what would they want on there? What would they think would be helpful for um, service users that can come and join later on as well? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it was really nice, like, the whole process of doing it and giving them something to focus on and something to do um, whilst they had all this time on the ward as well. Um, so yeah, that's something I really tried to do there. Um, so that was my um, sort of main role after uni. Um, I then... Left that role to go um, over to Sri Lanka, so I volunteered on a mental health placement with SLV Global. So that's the um, the organisation that I was working for in London previously. Um, so I volunteered with them a couple of years ago, um, and that was in Sri Lanka. We were working with um, different communities within Sri Lanka around um, Colombo. So we were based in sort of a homestay, living with the families, and which was an incredible experience just to sort of get to know the culture. Um, And to see it as a local, um, which was an incredible experience. Um, But like the content of what we were doing on the placement, we were running um, therapeutic activities. Um, So we would meet all the volunteers at the start of the week, plan the sessions for the full week, and then get our resources together and go out and um, run these activities. So we could be working within schools, we could be working at um, children's centres, and we had access to um, one of the psychiatric facilities in Columbia as well. Um, so really different services where we were working. Um, we set a bunch of projects up in the community as well. Um, so working with adults, working with children, um, with mental health conditions diagnosed, someone diagnosed, um, learning disabilities, physical disabilities. So such a range of mm. um, service users that we were working with. So we really had to think about how we could make the activities appropriate for everybody and how we could adapt to those uh, different situations and what comes up sort of during those activities as well. I guess that's why how I've sort of gone into what I did with Care for Cali and the activities that's sort of always been my background as well. Yeah. Um yeah, I was in in Sri Lanka and then I came back and I've uh done recently done a masters as well in clinical and health psychology. Um so yeah, sort of going between different places, um yeah. doing different things, but it's all yeah, it's all sort of looked up really nicely and to be sort of where where I am and sort of going back to Cali right, as did, well. Did I you think. do
0: your masters in Manchester as well or was that somewhat different?
2: Yeah, so I went back to Manchester um, for my master's. Um, I love Manchester. <laughs> I've only just moved down yeah, to London. we so love Manchester going. as well. We love nice Manchester. I'm to trying see. to, like,
1: entice you up on this, yeah, for a little high. <laughs> yeah,
2: definitely. I'll uh, see, see what's up there next year, definitely.
1: But I, what I kind of like is is that you've kept, like, a thread of you all yeah. through the different things that you've done kind of like this is what I think is important within this work because it can be hard I think within different organizations to like hold on to you because you can so easily just fit into the culture of that organization and just become like a faceless kind of yeah. I'm this person or I'm this person I really love that you've like kept that like no it's about kind of having like a creative environment mm. for people to kind of feel a bit of dignity within. I think because yeah, you painted yeah. that I saw on the Instagram I was oh, you like pa- even painted in the warehouse uh, <laughs> so it was like nice for the volunteers as well it's just, I think it's just like a lovely kind of thread to carry through
2: yeah thank you yeah that was the uh the toilet door so whenever I see sort of a space or a wall or anything I'm like oh I really need to paint that <laughs> anywhere um, when I've got my own house I can't imagine what that'll look like
1: <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say looking behind you that's like very right, but that makes sense if it's like a, a rented one <laughs> yeah yeah, um, yeah so always,
2: sorry, go on that's all right I've, I've always loved like art myself and I think um if I wasn't going to go into psychology for my degree, it would have been arts. I think combining those two passions is something that I've always wanted to do in the roles. And I think having a job that you are passionate about is something that I've been so lucky with every role that I've had. And um, it's mm-hmm. been very different, but I've really enjoyed it. And I feel really passionate about um, all the roles that I've had as well.
1: Yeah. We've kind of spoken a bit about that, haven't we? I'm kind of like it's a lot of people on this podcast kind of... Um, kind of found themselves in roles that they felt really felt really passionate about and yeah, kind of a lot of our yeah. friends have like bartended haven't they and then people that have come on here have like developed their own mm. found their own kind of passion I think I think it's really important to remember is that people aren't just like yeah. born and then they don't go on like a path to like their thing that they love do they like you kind of carve it out for yourself in a way and mm. um, you're also selling your prints aren't you Alicia should we quickly do a bit of promo. A bit of promo. Yeah. Nice. Um so are you sell, you're selling prints, are you with 50% of proceeds?
2: So I've um done a couple of prints um since I got back from Calais, I've had a couple of weeks um until I'm going to go back back out. So I've had some time to um work on my art again and I love sort of having the opportunity to do that. So I thought what could I do to sort of give back to um Care for Calais as well and to support them whilst I'm not there. So I've done a couple of prints um that are available on my Etsy page. Um, that 50% of the profits are going to go um, back to Care for Calais. Um So they'll be donated directly back to um, the charity as well. So, yeah, I can share that link with you guys as well. We'll put the link on um, on the Instagram so
1: people we'll can We'll drop it in time. the
0: show notes. Oh,
2: amazing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry,
1: in the show notes. <laughs> 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 Never use the proper language. Um, well, I want to hear a bit more about um, your newest project, but first, should we quickly touch on your film? Because it is one that I also really love, so yeah. I'm excited to talk about it.
0: Have you
1: seen? Have you <laughs> seen one? I have actually seen this film. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I
2: thought you liked it. <laughs> so my film is Factory Girl. Um, so I've watched this movie so many times, and what I love about it is um, I've read a lot into sort of Andy Warhol and in the sixties and the movement that he had in New York. Um, so basically, this film is based on sort of the rise and fall of Edie Sedgwick. So she um, was an underground sort of film star um, and she was working quite closely with Andy Warhol in the 60s. And um, so Andy Warhol had um, an art gallery, which was called The Factory. Um, so he was there and he had this sort of open space where people could come in, could sort of explore. And um, he did a lot of work there, um, all in sort of his pop art movement. And Edie Sedgwick was um, sort of part of, this experience as well and she appeared in quite a lot of his movies um so it's really based on her story but what I um really like about the movie is the sort of concept of pop art and how what pop up represents and how it was so um sort of controversial at the time like in the 60s where Andy Warhol was making prints of um mass-produced things like the soup cans and Coca-Cola mm. bottles like that and I think it would it really changed how people saw um art and I think it just showed that you can anything can be art and anything can have different meanings and everybody views images and different things in different ways as well so I thought that was a really cool idea Um, and I think at the time um, I think it came out sort of early 2000s I think and I um, remember that was a key thing in me um, and my sort of work for my art GCSE and my art A level as well like I focused a lot on pop art and I think Andy Warhol was someone that really sort of inspired me in my um, my own artwork as well. And how I sort of, even now with the prints that I've done, um, I think it's sort of that concept of making a piece of art and then being able to mass produce um, mm-hmm. one sort of image, which I think is really, really great. So yeah, I think he really inspired me. Um, and I love at the time with the factory, this was a concept where nobody knew what, how he would be perceived in sort of 20, 30 years time that um, everybody was really passionate in this one space and um, doing something that they love and I think it's really cool to, to not always know if what you're doing right now in with art is is good how it's going to be viewed and how it's viewed now and how it's viewed in the future but I think um yeah that's something that really stuck with me and I think in my own artwork I definitely um really aspire to a lot of that as well.
1: And making it accessible like art doesn't need to be this snobby Thing and actually shouldn't yeah. be a snobby thing. I actually have a confession I have mixed up the film with Made in Dagenham, which is about the, well, the vast movement uh, in London. Yeah, I love it. I haven't actually seen <laughs> <How> Factory Girl
0: because <laughs> that's,
1: that's also about women in the factory, isn't it? Have you seen it, Lissia? <laughs> I haven't seen that one. All right, okay. No. Well, <laughs> I've mixed it up. Fine,
0: fine. <laughs> oh no, that well, right. I've, I've seen it. It's one I've seen. Um, yeah, so I can say that because it's Sienna Miller, isn't it? Who plays Edie Sedgwick? Yes,
2: yeah, Sienna. Miller, and
0: then, yeah, is, yeah. Um, I think when I was a teenager, I was just so in love with Sienna Miller. So I just watched everything that she did. But it's a great <laughs> film. It's such a good film.
1: I think it's worth like looking at as well. Like why? I remember as a teenager, really loving. Um, the Andy Warhol work, and I wonder if it is that kind of, um, like, it just feels like it's made for a bit more of a, a, a audience that isn't. You don't have to like kind of go into a place that is like an old place to like access it, do you? It's yeah. kind of like you yeah. could, well, you could have it on your wall, couldn't you? Really, if it's mass produced. Yeah. I mm-hmm. think. Um, yeah. yeah, I remember we did it for our um, GCSE as well, and I remember just thinking like, this is. Um this is quite different to like paintings of like kings or like women with like their arms stretched out, isn't it? <laughs> I'm so impressed I mixed up the film, sorry. This is basically a podcast about me blundering through
0: films. <laughs> sorry, right. do you remember you were... in, the, in the first um episode though, you um you said Maggie's plan, didn't you, Charlie? And then later on I was like, So tell us a bit more about Maggie's farm. So
1: yeah, that's true. It's just us trying to navigate our way through culture, <laughs> and not doing a very good job sometimes.
0: Yeah, the, the 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 genre for this podcast is officially society and culture, and I don't know if we if we tick any of those
1: boxes. Really, is there one that's like bumbling? Yeah, <laughs> we've created our own genre podcast genre. Um, so, Alicia, I saw recently you met up with Tia, who I know. Um. Yeah. From Care for Calais and who actually is a little bit of a celebrity because she was on the news, wasn't she? Um yeah, when there was great. when on the news when there was a big um they did a big report on um the situation in northern France and Care for Calais. So I remember yeah. seeing that and then going, I'm like, oh my god, that's that girl who was on the news. And then there's another girl called Helen, who I don't think I did meet, but you guys have come together to kind of create something new, haven't
2: you? Yeah, that's right. So um Helen was a volunteer with me um, at the start of my time with Care for Calais, Um, so she was there during lockdown as well, and Tia was um, incredible, as you said, she's um, the voice of Care for Calais, she's incredible, she's um, 19 and she's got so much experience in the field, Mm -hmm. so really great group of people that we met. Um, So we met up a couple of weeks ago in London, um, all just talking about the current situation and how um, what's happening in Calais, the evictions that were there previously are ongoing, and situation is I think in the media so much more now and I just we all really feel passionate about the whole situation and just what we could do to sort of promote change within that as well so we had this idea of um running a protest so we just sort of put a couple of ideas together and but then we thought we wanted to have sort of something behind the protest something that we could do beyond sort of the protest as well um so we came up with the idea to set our own collective up and we um, just sat down within sort of an hour. We had a name, um, we had a logo, we had like an Instagram, <laughs> we just suddenly came out of nowhere. Um, but we're um, we're called We Support Refugees. Um, we as the French spelling, so O-U-I. Love that. Love um, so really that. tying in sort of
0: Very clever.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really tying in that connection between the UK and France and like France being where we all met and how we um, sort of develop this as well. Um, so yeah, We Support Refugees channel unity. Um, so, channel again, sort of connecting the channel, um, and sort of that being sort of a main focus of um, what we want to do, and sort of having that um, experience of volunteering over there as well. And um, so, yeah, we set this up. Um, it's only been about a week and a half ago now, um, but we've um, we're organising a peaceful protest in Trafalgar Square in London. So that'll be on Sunday the thirtieth, and so the week this weekend coming up. And um, so, what we're wanting to do with that is really sort of challenging the narrative of um, the negative sort of narrative in the media that's currently there um, about refugees and um, sharing information, having a space where people are able to come speak to us and come in and um, learn about our experiences and really giving a voice to people that um, often don't have that in um, the media as well. So, yeah, we're, we're really excited about that. Um, we've set up our sort of Instagram, our Facebook page, um, so I can definitely share that with you guys as well you can put it in the um, end yeah, I don't show know notes yeah, <laughs> thank you and so um, it's next
1: weekend, the protest because I think yeah. this, this is this this is mm-hmm. coming out on Wednesday isn't it, Sam, yeah. I
0: think yeah. Wednesday. so
1: people listening in the future, if you're in London Saturday, Trafalgar Square what time are they coming to see you all this year?
2: So that will be um, 1 o'clock until 4 o'clock on 1 the o'clock till year. 4 o'clock
0: amazing three hours of your mm-hmm. day Three hours of your day. Yeah. I might even might have make yeah. the trip over, trip up yeah. from Brighton.
2: Well, Thank you. So I'm actually going to be in Calais, so I won't be there on the day. Um, but we are hoping to sort of live stream some of the volunteers over in Calais as well and um, have a bit Amazing. Of, sort of Q&A. Because that, yeah.
1: I think what you say about the media portrayal, it has been it's kind of gone up again recently, I think. I think there's been mm. an interesting correlation between certain incompetencies from the government and the rise in the interest of number of refugees coming Mm -hmm. over, which I don't think is coincidental. Um, And I think there's been, I think the last few weeks, especially with um, Mm. the man that was found in, on the beach in um, Sangat as well, there was a lot of coverage wasn't there on that. And a lot of what Mm. the language around that is just like, absolutely terrible. And you think these are journalists who (laughs) you, I don't know, is there, if as a journalist you know your language is so loaded you know the way that you phrase things in your headline and yeah can people who don't know about it are going to take that away from it and i know that i've read some stuff recently where i'm just i'm just boggled did you
0: see did you see that it was on like bbc breakfast when they were in like a boat next to a boat where they were like trying to Truck water out of it, it was obviously like it was just yeah it was just felt so tasteless it was just mm. it was just so just yeah
2: uh,
1: people have been completely dehumanized, I think
2: yeah mm. definitely so yeah, what we're trying to do really with we support refugees is giving people that voice and having um having a platform for people to share their own stories as well um I think really relating back to my book choice as well, thinking of sort of having that experience of reading about an individual story I think is so. Um, impactful and it really impacted me so hopefully if we are able to do that through um, our organisations and yeah, we're not sure what's going to happen sort of after the protest but hopefully there's more things to come so yeah we're sort of really excited about that and um, what's going to come in the future.
1: Mm. Something needs to happen it's such a like you yeah. said at the beginning there's so many big structural things that we have no control over but our spheres of influence yeah. Yeah. that we can we need to be proactive within them because nothing changes if no one's changing it do they and i yeah. um went on the other day i had like a little flash of anger and i was like how can i what will i do and i was like okay i'm going to go on pretty patel's instagram post and i'm going to put a really <laughs> impassioned capitalized comment that says refugees welcome and then obviously didn't yeah. feel better after because i was completely ineffectual but i was <laughs> reading some of the other comments and just like the information that people think they have so many people saying well my sister lives in it has five children in a two-bed council house but then refugees and asylum seekers Mm -hmm. come over and they get a five-star hotel and like obviously that's not true (laughs) like the refugees that are in Manchester in a rubbish hotel in Didsbury and it's just like even the narrative that you've been fed isn't correct and then it's so impassioned like five-star hotel is like such like a like a visceral way of like saying (laughs) where do I mean even framing where people are saying and, like, someone, yeah. someone, I think, someone this week died in the hotel in Northern Dinger. You know I mean, it's not, people aren't coming over. And, like you said, having this um, five-star streets page of gold experience. Like, the families that I support don't, they live off food parcels most of the time, and they the clothes, they wear are clothes that have been donated. It's not like a um, VIP it? guest lounge that people kind of come out of the sea into,
2: is it? It's, no, not at all. And I think um, Tia was over recently, so she came over to the UK for um, a couple of weeks just while she had some time off from uh, Care for Calais. And when she was over here, um, a refugee that she supported over in Calais recently contacted her to say that um, he needs some help. He's in London. Um, He recently came over. Um, He had just been released two days ago from um, the detention centre. Um, and he had 400 pounds that he brought over he'd saved up to bring over to sort of start his life over here um, and basically the police said to him that because he had this money they aren't able to give him accommodation so they let him out and said once he, he needs to spend this money and then they'll give him accommodation which is something crazy like we've never heard of this before um, yeah so he he had to keep receipts for everything that he'd spent and um, so he ended up once he'd contacted Tia and um, he'd He'd been on the streets, sleeping um, rough for the last two nights. So he didn't have ID. He didn't have these different things, all these barriers that he's not able to access accommodation. So, yeah, there's so many barriers that are there. So me and Tia went to meet him and help him get into some accommodation. And even when we were there, it was difficult because um, he only had cash. um, So he didn't have any car to make a payment. But we got over that. We found a hostel that he was able to stay in. Um, But then the guy asked him for ID. um, He didn't have any ID on him. So it was quite up in the eye if he was going to get in there or not but he ended up um accepting to take Tia's ID um on behalf of um the guy that we were with there as well so even that sort of system in itself I think that's something that um that's happening that happened a couple of weeks ago so it's, mm-hmm. I think it's the case of it isn't um the media the whole narrative in the media makes it look like you said Charlie about the five-star hotels that everybody um, people are coming over and getting all this luxury and it's definitely not happening in any way um, no. shape or form I don't think mm-hmm.
1: I don't know how, I guess the way we change it is by just keeping on having the conversation, isn't it? And hoping that that filters to people who are maybe not as aware. And I understand the frustration, you know, we do have a housing crisis. You know, I have, I work with families who are all crammed into a tiny house. There isn't, you know, yeah. comparatively, everyone's, most people aren't having a great time. But the solution mm-hmm. isn't to turn those people against each other, it's for us to, yeah. and this is, I'm um, in a very idealistic, zone at the moment, um, but the answer is to all come together and all start arguing yeah up,
0: but the, I mean the fact it shouldn't be it shouldn't be too idealistic that everyone just has a safe place to live you know that's not no. that's, you're not asking it's not a that. utopia it's, <laughs> not fucking, it's not a mad thing to like kind of be asking for is it
2: yeah no. yeah I think that's really important sort of starting those conversations and even that with sort of my family and my own friends since I've come back from Calais um we've been having conversations and having this I think a space where you are able to sort of challenge these um things that come up in the news and really thinking about that and I think educating ourselves and that I've still got so much to learn about the situation um but yeah I think it's sort of having that space to feel comfortable talking about difficult situations um mm-hmm. I think is where everything starts
1: and not saying well actually these people have it worse than you Saying actually everyone's got it pretty bad. So let's yeah. change like if you change it for one person, you're gonna start changing it for everyone. It's not about fighting mm-hmm. for that one three bedroom house. It's about saying, well, why aren't there more three bedroom houses? Yeah. Out and about.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Bit of a die. It's a <clears throat> it's a dire situation. I feel um quite fr- well, we already yeah. quite frustrated by it quite a lot of the time. Yeah. Um mm-hmm what would uh, I don't know I guess if I'm trying to kind of think if people are listening and feeling like there's something they want to do about it I think the most immediate thing you can do is donate Mm. isn't it would you agree
2: yeah I think um there's so many charities um like working all over Calais um donations I think would be really helpful um if you're able to um attend any events um speak about the situation um I think is really important as well. Um, if anyone's got any time to volunteer, um, all the organisations in Calais are always taking on volunteers. They run mm. every day of the year. So there's loads of great organisations there. Um, if you aren't able to get over there as well, there's a lot of cool stuff going on in the UK. Loads mm-hmm. of different um, charities that do different work, um, supporting refugees. Um, so definitely there's a lot you can get involved in um, all around the UK as well.
0: Yeah. And I think going back to what Annie said um, last week, of like, look at what's going on in your local area as well, because, you, you know, only the people in your local area are going to want to help that because I know in Brighton there is this certain, or in the surrounding area of Brighton, specifically there's like centres and stuff for refugees and stuff that are taking volunteers. So I'm sure there's, you know, local stuff all over the UK which which can help as well. So, mm-hmm. you know, oh, we've oh. lost. Oh no, she's back. Are you still there, Licia? You're on. Me- it says you're on mute to me.
1: There you go. Just had a little break then. <laughs> um so shall we hear about your song? It wasn't a song that I've heard before, actually, but I did like it when I had a
0: little... If you not? It was, such, it was such a throwback for <laughs> was me. Was it? Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, heard, I was like, oh my God, what's that song? And I went and listened to it. I was like, yeah. that's that song? It's so <laughs> funny. I haven't heard that song in about 10 years.
2: <laughs> so my song was um, Runaway Train by Soul Asylum. So yeah, it came out in like the early 90s, I think. Um, so basically what I really... Like about this is how um they use the music video to sort of put forward a really important message so i guess at the start of the 90s it was when everybody was watching um like mtv there was always like everybody watching music videos all the time um so it was a really powerful way to get across a message um through a music video so what solace island wanted to do was to deliver a message through um their music video and what they did um throughout the image uh, throughout the movie uh, the sort of thing the video there's um things like sort of flash up on screen and it's um images of 36 children who were missing at the time So these images sort of flash up um it says the name and the date that these kids were missing from um so what they did once this went out and this was in the states um this went out and this was I guess at a time when the only way that missing children were ever um advertised was sort of on milk cartons wasn't it you know like the old school like mm. this, this i don't know why they did it on milk it's quite strange but anyway they from this mu- uh, from this um music video it went out and 26 of those 36 kids were found and um, as a result of amazing yeah it's crazy and i think it just shows how you can use entertainment and media to to convey really important messages and i think it's sort of tying that and it doesn't have to be two separate things um i'm really thinking about like social change political change and how you can get that out to a big audience that might not necessarily have known about that situation as well. Um, so it was so successful. I think they did it in a bunch of other countries as well, um, like Germany, I think the UK and Australia or something. Um, so, yeah, they did the same thing over there Amazing. as well. So I think it, it made such a big change. And I think, um, yeah, I just found that music video like really powerful and I thought it was incredible how they were able to put this new concept together, which was quite um, controversial, I guess, at the time when it came out. Um, but yeah, it had an incredible impact. Um, and one thing that I thought as well from the result, I think the, t- the twenty-six kids that were found, um, Soul Asylum, they they were talking about how every one of those kids has a different story, and um, everybody has different reasons for running away from home. If that was the case as well, so like really thinking about that individual story and what situation everybody's going through, and everybody's got such a different situation. They're not just um sort of a collective of missing missing people. They all have that individual story. Um, so yeah, that's something that they yeah. talked about and promoted as well. Um, so yeah, I thought it was a really cool uh, video that had an amazing impact as well. Um, yeah, yeah, that's why I chose that one. And kind
1: of um moving forward, links into your work that you've done with um young people as well because I think it's really easy and I guess you have this you always say this as well because Sam works in a college um an SCN college but it's for it's primarily people who've got autism isn't it yeah you always say like there's it's so easy to lump people together and just say oh teenagers with with eating disorders or teenagers who have autism and they must then there's these prescriptions and there's these things that every single person Mm -hmm. has and this is how you like cure it and fix it. But actually a k- real key to things getting better is, and it sounds, it's, it's obvious to us and maybe it's obvious to individuals, but not. Yeah. Um, it's like looking at those, that like, unique, like unique things, isn't it? And like their own stories and like how they've got, where,
2: what the world looks yeah, like definitely. to them. And towards the end of the video, um, I think it ends with sort of a woman um realizing that her child's missing and she's sort of really distressed running down the street. And I think it just really portrays that message of, what a parent would do for a child um, and I think that goes mm-hmm. back to sort of the situation with Calais as well and that's been in the media quite recently about um, parents and what would, they would do for their children as well and yeah Dominic I'll Cummings versus yeah, the uh, that. yeah, so yeah. Do that, but not anybody that's trying to look after the children and to save their lives to get them to a safer place as well like it's yeah um, mm. so yeah I think that was something that really stood out at the end of the video as well yeah I'm gonna watch that now. I've never, I didn't know the song, and I hadn't seen the
1: music video, so I'll have a. look. Oh, you're
0: gonna love it, Charlie. It's a really, it's a good little jam. It's a good little jam.
1: It really is <laughs> lovely. A lovely choice. And then, was there? Um, I'm just trying to think of this. Was it, from your messages. Was there anything else that you wanted us to
2: um, chat about? I'm seeing what you said. Yeah, you're I think I think that's everything, actually. Um, yeah, I guess it all just sort of ties into. Having the opportunity for me to go back to Calais, and I think it's um, yeah, I think without, I well, I've had the opportunity to sort of work in a couple of different places this year, and I think it's, I've yeah had a quite different experience of lockdown to a lot of other people, um, which I think is uh, it's given me different opportunities um, to sort of go in a different career path in a in a, a little fraction I guess of what I've done before, um, so yeah, I think it's incredible that um, I sort of say wonder. One door closes another opens, and I think that's the case with um mm-hmm. with my role and I sort of had my role with global mental health and then that's sort of um because of the travel restrictions that's um the company's closing down and um at that time it was really sad but then it sort of opened up opportunities for different things as well um yes yeah, so it really mm-hmm. it sort of ties in all the all the things that I'm passionate about and I think it's um yeah I'm really excited to sort of get the word out there about project play as well because I'm really excited to uh start the role with those in a couple of weeks well next week
1: it's so perfect for you i'm so excited that you're gonna that you're gonna do it
0: and yeah and best of luck as well thank you yeah i hope it all goes okay
1: well i would like to ask is alicia last week we kind of so initially we were really good at remembering to ask people how they like maintain their own resilience because obviously like everyone has mental health Mm everyone needs to kind of look after themselves to be able to look after other people and we didn't ask people about it for a bit but then last week Annie like we had a really good chat about it again and I think you know from you're um quite you're a busy person aren't you you like give everything during the day and then when you go out in the evening you also give everything to the social situation (laughs) so I just (laughs) we were there we were in Cali when the pubs opened for the first time (laughs) Um, but how do you kind of what what how do you look after yourself like what time do you spend and I guess maybe it might feel like you haven't had much time to do that
2: (laughs) this year um what I really do for myself is I love um my art so anytime I've got the chance um I'll get my sketchbook out and spend some time drawing just putting some music on I think having that space um just for that own sort of creativity I find really um helpful for my mental health as well um Mm -hmm. I think being sort of out in nature as well so anytime I can get outside um I love going sort of for long walks listening to a podcast um and just sort of losing track of everything else just walking I end up doing that and walking for like 15 kilometers Um, I'm always doing that which I think is really helpful I think just love being out in nature um yeah and that art I think they the, the two things that I really um I really enjoy I think are really helpful for me as well
1: mm-hmm. this kind of processing isn't yeah. it I think especially with what you've been doing this year you see you like see so much when you're in the when you're doing it you're there and you're like in like firefighting mode and you're like right let's get this sorted like let's get this out like let's do this do this do this and then sometimes it's like only when you go away that it can be quite difficult to be like oh actually this person's been through this, or like, oh, actually, this person's like, this is such a cliche, but like, this person's sleeping mm-hmm. in a tent, or like, more recently, thank you to recent French, more French police mm-hmm. evictions, not even sleeping in a tent. People are sleeping on tarpaulins, yeah. aren't they, now
2: mm-hmm.
1: without sleeping bags because um everything, people keep getting moved mm-hmm. along and having their belongings mm-hmm. taken. So I think that processing time yeah. is key and as well. It's-
2: Sort of when I was in Calais, it is so easy to want to give your all every hour of every day. But I think it's important making sure that you give yourself that time for um, sort of the own reflection and processing of what's happened during the day, and never sort of normalising a situation mm-hmm. because what's happening over there is, is not normal as well. And I think it's you need to sort of step back mm. and think when we were over there for a long time there's a lot of volunteers you're living together you're volunteering every day um so even when you go sort of to the pub in the evening you sit down and you talk about the situation and I think that can sometimes get quite overwhelming you can feel a little bit hopeless again in that situation so I think when I was in Calais I found it really helpful um spending that time by myself or speaking to um friends and family at home as well but I think really making sure that I gave myself that time in the evening um where I'm trying to sort of distance myself in a way from the situation, because I think it's really important to have, like you said, that processing time. And so, yeah, I think going back mm-hmm. to Calais, I'm really, I've got a lot of, I've had time to reflect on how I sort of process that myself and how I sort of looked after my own mental health when I was there with Care for Calais. And I think going back, I definitely know there's a lot of things that I'll put in place to make sure I can sort of give myself that space as well. And yeah, I think I've definitely spent mm-hmm. a lot of my time there.
1: And I think it could possibly be easier as like a um, kind of paid permanent member of staff because you know that you've got Mm. allotted days and time to like get the work done that you need to do. I think sometimes the thing that's hard about volunteering is, especially for a short amount of time, it's like I need to give as much as I can while I'm here, while I'm able to like help. And it is, you can just kind of burn Uh, out, can't you? Yeah.
2: And I think just looking out for each other as well, I think um, it's really important and something that, I've done in all my roles. I'm really sort of working in promoting mental, positive mental health within different communities, but also within your own team. If you're in any sort of role, caring capacity, you have to support other people. But then you're also um, you need to take the time to support yourself to be able to help other people as well. Um,
1: yeah, we were talking about that some, weren't we? Because mm-hmm. you're going back to school <laughs> in September um, to a yeah. college where things are going to be quite different. And then I obviously a lot of my teenagers and kids that i support going back to school and they haven't been in school mm-hmm. for six months oh. and we were kind of saying about giving ourselves a bit of a break weren't we in those yeah. two weeks and just kind of looking after ourselves because you, yeah. <laughs> you, you can't <laughs> give you can't give everything to
2: everyone kind mm-hmm. yeah,
0: of definitely not it's all about prioritizing as well and just you know getting like we've got that kind of immediate thing coming up for both of us so mm. the priority is to kind of be able to be Keep fully going. fully fit and fully able to do to do those couple of hectic weeks hopefully mm. it yeah it does calm down after a couple of weeks um yeah. it might
1: be nice quickly just to talk about um I've just we didn't talk about it before mm. um stuff that people can um points where people can help in the UK because I meant yeah. to say when we're saying about what people can do Care for Calais have drop-off points don't they for physical donations in almost every yes. city Yeah. Um, yeah. and then have also branched out a little bit into doing stuff in UK cities I didn't know that they did that but I, um, I'm in the group yeah. for Manchester now
2: um, mm-hmm. so I guess yeah, it's just a volunteer page and um, so they often share mm-hmm. if any refugees need support around the UK and people often post things on there so you can sort of tap in and out um, as and when to support people, um, which I think is really important. I said those sort of drop off points. Um, I know a couple of other organisations um, like RCK, uh, Refugee um, Kitchen, they, they're based in calais but they also do um, a bunch of work in, in and around London. I think they've got a couple of um, entities here, so they support um, people within the UK as well. And um, so, yeah, there's loads of stuff that you can get involved in if that's if you've got any sort of if you've got a day to give. I think if you've got longer to give as well, it's definitely something for everybody, I think.
1: Because mm-hmm. you can feel like um, there's so much to do that you don't even know what the first step is. So I think sometimes the benefit of charities as well is saying like, no, let us, would. will will guide you in that first step towards doing something Mm. because especially with like refugee crisis you're like well I can't change my country's foreign policy (laughs) (laughs) or like I can't like (laughs) physically build a safer route yeah or like build a new border Mm. um so I think it is worth if you kind of feeling like you want to get going it's it's I hope what this podcast also does is kind of like signpost people a little bit to yeah to where they could go
2: to sort of facilitate those conversations within your own sort of social circle as well, I think it's really important mm. um, to if people have different opinions, definitely have the sort of spaces where you can have those discussions and um, look into things and do research. I think sort of education is definitely the start of it, and that's what I'm trying to do for myself as well. Um, learning more about the situation um, from those valued sources as well that aren't um, always swayed by the media um, so getting the facts and mm. you can look into. Um, care for calais has a page um on their website and it talks about sort of myths about refugees um and mm. gives you sort of the facts there as well um so yeah i think really looking into things for yourself and not always sort of just believe in those um headlines that are in the newspapers that are often very negative um, and framed in one sort of way there's an
1: ulterior motive i think sometimes with those mm.
0: yeah Didn't you might be right Charlie. not
1: to try to make this into that's true what I'm not. I don't think it's even a conspiracy theory. I think it's <laughs> a legit thing. Yeah, <laughs> what's going on? Did you see the um video of um the projection on the cliffs of Dover, led by donkeys? Have I you seen that? Yeah. I haven't
0: watched it yet, but I've see, I've seen it like shared. I haven't yeah, yeah. Is it led by donkeys? Yeah, yeah. He did. That. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And that guy's like, they're you're. They're trying to distract you. <laughs> don't let yourself be distracted.
2: Yeah, they're great. What's really going great on? Organization. They do some really incredible stuff. Um. Yeah, yeah, we've we've just shared that actually on our uh, um, we support refugees Facebook page as well. Um, but yeah, that was incredible. Yeah, really
1: good. Well, lovely. Do you, Alyssa, Do you feel like we've missed anything out about you that's integral to? Um,
2: no, no, that's that's everything I think. Um,
1: <laughs> some, we've you summed you up guys. in an hour. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, well, I don't want to keep you for ages because you I didn't realize how big your week was going to be this week. <laughs> You've got a lot going yeah, on. Yeah, I
2: need
1: to pack um, up my best stuff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we yeah. can let you go.
0: Always we'll let well. you get on it. Thank you so much for doing Very that. Nice to speak uh, to you. So see. yeah, it's been great. Thank you.
1: Yeah. And good luck. Be safe, Thank you, guys. please. <laughs> um, I will. I'll speak to you soon. <laughs> it was really nice to see. you. Thank you, Alicia. Was she as much of a treat as I said she was going to be, Sam? Yes,
0: yeah, so um, yeah, absolutely delightful. That was wonderful. Um,
1: exceeded expectations.
0: Yeah. She made um, me feel really calm as well. I was, yeah. you, sometimes I get a bit quite, kind of like uh, nervous on this, but yeah, quite a calming yeah. vibe.
1: And I think the key takeaway is if you're in London or near London, protest next week on 30th. Yeah. Trafalgar
0: Square,
1: 1 4 can't make that fine but if you want to if you listen and you want to start doing some things well i mean you can contact us um but we've also kind of put in some names as well of places to get involved yeah
0: i think we spoke about quite a few ways to get involved and we'll mm-hmm. post some more on like instagram and stuff Yeah. Um, as if people we got another review charlie on apple podcast so we're up <sighs> to it? we're up to six five star reviews Whoa. now so, yeah.
1: 30 stars!
0: <laughs> um, and, yeah, it seems like we are kind of, you know, steadily people, people more and more people are listening each week. So, mm-hmm. yeah, if, you, if you're if you new and you really liking the podcast, it really helps us out. If you want to go and review it or rate yeah. it or just share it with your friends or whatever, give us a like on Instagram. Well, that And kind then of stuff.
1: after this one, we're having two week break, aren't we? Because... Yeah. We're going. We've got big old hectic two weeks coming up, and then after that, we've got some really good new. Well, I mean, we always have good guests, but we've got even more good guests lined up, haven't we?
0: Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be rocking. Yeah, we're, we're kind of we're going back to school next week. We're we're working with young adults okay. who are going back to school. So well, we're, shepherd we're everyone gonna,
1: back yeah. in.
0: <laughs> we're we're going to be busy. So yeah, um, we're going to see we'll see you all in two weeks um i'll chat to you in between charlie don't worry i'll see how i'll keep up with you
1: thanks i think i'm growing dependent on it
0: (laughs) oh that's nice well maybe maybe not dependency (laughs)
1: um right speak to you soon have a lovely break
0: soon see yeah see you later listeners